Well, enough of that. Well, we are continuing in our series, Living on Track, which I have enjoyed so much. And with everything that's gone on this last year, I don't know about you, but I kind of felt off track in some ways. So I've enjoyed this series that, that has helped me kind of rethink what Christian living looks like and means for me in my life. And so today, uh, as Pastor David said, I'm going to be talking about financial freedom. So would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, I pray that as you have guided the meditations of my heart this week, so also would you guide the words of my mouth this morning for your glory, and that by a miracle of your spirit, you would transform every word in every ear into the message that you have for every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe your blood pressure went up when Pastor David said finances, or when I said financial freedom. And maybe you didn't hear a word I said in that prayer right there. For some of us, the subject of money in any form produces anxiety. Maybe it was a source of stress in your family growing up. Maybe your family never talked about money, or maybe it's still a source of stress. Chances are it is. A recent survey said that 90% of Americans say that money has an impact on their stress level. About 65% report that their financial difficulties are piling up so much they can't overcome them. Roughly 40% say they are taking no notable steps to secure their financial future. Less than 25% feel extremely optimistic about their financial future. And 40% say managing their money on a daily basis limits the extent to which they can enjoy their day-to-day life. Well, the opposite of stress is freedom. And I want you to know that God wants you to experience financial freedom, and I want you to experience financial freedom too. Now, don't make the mistake of confusing financial abundance, like winning the lottery, with financial freedom, okay? There's a big difference, and freedom is not the same as abundance, but freedom is the opposite of stress. And more importantly, financial freedom is available. Financial freedom is something that we can move toward, and I would say it's even better than financial abundance. So we're going to dive into a passage of Scripture today, written a long time ago, that has some key principles for us for financial freedom. And here's what we're not going to do today. We're not going to crunch numbers, okay? Um, As much as I would love to do that and convince you that Dave Ramsey has nothing on Dave Bonet, okay, that's not what we're going to do. Instead, we're going to look at the spiritual side of money, because I believe that if we can get this right— then any Dave Ramsey or Rachel Cruz or Larry Burkett system can guide you through a system and make a good plan. Now before we find these principles in Paul's letter to the Philippians, I want to first acknowledge our pain around money. If you're anything like me, you look back on your life and you think about all the mistakes that you've made, right? Well, as Dave Ramsey says, if you've made mistakes with money, do you know what that makes you? Over 12 years old. Exactly. And that's okay if you didn't like that joke because it was a Dave Ramsey joke, not a Dave Bonet joke. Well, I feel the same way. I I, I think I look back on my life and I say, I should have saved more. I should have spent less. I should have saved for retirement better, right? I should have given away more money. I should have bought and held stock in Tesla instead of Washington Mutual Bank. Anybody ever heard of Washington Mutual Bank? Yeah, not since they went out of business, went bankrupt, but I thought it was a great company, so I put a lot of money. I think that companies should pay me to not invest in their stock because that that will will ensure their success. 
Well, if you want stock picking advice, you have to ask me when I was 24, because that's when I knew everything, and I had way better hair. Not as good as Pastor Lane, but a lot better than now. Well, maybe it's worse than that. Maybe you've had a bankruptcy, or, or a gambling problem, or maybe you're struggling with debt right now. Well, if you have any kind of guilt feelings with your past, with money, and you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. There is no blame, and there is no shame. Let me say it again, because you need to hear it, not just with your ears, but with your heart. There is no blame, and there is no shame. And I'm not just trying to make you feel better. I'm telling you the truth from Scripture. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no blame, and there is no shame. So y'all, I love this, this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. I once, took, I once took a whole class in the letter to the Philippians. Um, maybe I like it because there's a lot of like accounting and finance and, and, uh, and per- personal finance language in there. I don't know what kind of nerd that makes me, that personal finance is my hobby. But it definitely makes me some kind of nerd. So, so when Paul is in his letter, he's in chapter 4, and he's about, he's about to make his final, his final argument in the letter. And, and remember we talked about financial stress? Well, one form of stress is worry. Watch what Paul does here. This is Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Now, I memorized that verse a long time ago in the NIV, but I love the way the New Living Translation says that. Just simple. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him. Thank him for all he has done. This don't worry instruction, it isn't just from Paul. If we, we, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Okay. So I think we understand that, that God is telling us through Paul and through Jesus that we're to not worry. But, but how do we not worry? Jesus continues in the next verse, But seek first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the how. And Paul says, here's how. You pray, tell God what you need, and then thank him for all he's done. And that brings us to the first key principle for financial freedom, gratitude. Gratitude acknowledges that all good things we have come from God and thanks him for our blessings. Let me say that again. Gratitude acknowledges that all good things we have come from God and thanks him for our blessings. James, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Paul wants us to see this clear connection between gratitude and freedom from worry. This reminds me of of a story of uh, a friend that I used to work with. He lived about an hour outside of Dallas-Fort Worth, kind of out in in a little bedroom town. And he planned this whole, this, this, this weekend with his family, and it ended up being a horrible weekend. Okay, he, he, he and his wife got off work at noon. They, they went home, they packed everything up, they got everything in the car, they went and picked up the kids straight from school, and they headed into Dallas. And they went to, they, they got in, they checked into a hotel, they went to Six Flags on Friday, they went to Hurricane Harbor, that's the water park on Saturday. They, they went back to Six Flags on, on Saturday afternoon, 
had a nice dinner Sunday morning. They, they took the whole weekend. They went back to Six Flags. They, they had a great time. And you're wondering how this was a horrible weekend. On the drive home, they're tired. Honey, can we just go home? And just get some burgers and take them home and, and eat them. I'm, I'm just way too tired to cook. Backseat. No, we want Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, no, no, there's, there's no way we're doing Chuck E. Cheese. We're way too tired for that. We're way too tired for that. Backseat again. You're mean. We never do anything fun. <laughs> Told you it was a horrible weekend. Now, how many times do we do that to God? How many times do we say to God, you don't give me what I need. Can't I make more money? Can't I live somewhere better? Somebody once said it like this. Do you remember back when you hoped for and prayed for the life you have right now? Burn. Y'all, it's hard to stress when you're counting your blessings. And if we spend time thinking about how God has blessed us, we won't worry about all the stuff that we think we're doing without. Here's what this looks, so, so here's what this looks like for me. I, I recommend that every day, or at least every week, you spend time literally writing down what you're thankful for. Counting your blessings. Here's what that looks like for me. I, every day I pray like this. God, I thank you for my wife. My sweet, kind, gentle, gorgeous, amazing wife. I usually go on from there, but you kind of get the picture. I thank you for my kids. I thank you for my parents, my brother, my sisters. I thank you for the house I live in and the car I drive. I thank you for a job I love and the ability and experience to do it. Thank you for blessing me. Just like that. And I, I try to focus on the things that, that God has already blessed me with. And if we cultivate this practice of gratitude, we're well on our path to financial freedom. Now we're gonna go a little later in the chapter and see what Paul says next. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content, content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Contentment, contentment rejoices in our blessings and it makes what we already have seem like plenty. Let me say that again. Contentment rejoices in our blessings and it makes what we already have seem like plenty. Paul was good whatever his situation was. Almost nothing or everything. Full stomach or empty. Plenty or little. And trust me, he went through all of those experiences in his ministry. There's a man named Charlie Shedd and he wrote a, a series of letters to his son about how to have a successful marriage. And, and, and I read that book a long time ago and in it he said, he gave this, this little piece of advice. He said, if you want all you have, you'll always have all you want. Think about it. If you want all you have, you'll always have all you want. It's a principle of contentment with just a dash of gratitude. I know two guys, and they're friends with each other, and by anyone's uh, standards, certainly by my standards, they're both rich, just, just rich, okay? And one of them, um, he, he works hard, he works 60 hours a week, he, he takes lots of fancy vacations, he drives a really fancy car, he lives in a big house, and his favorite saying is, well, I've never been disappointed with the best. His life theme is more, more, more. 
And the other guy, he had a good job when he was young. He, he, he was successful. He made a lot of money. And he, he bought a nice home. But he just found by his early 40s that he'd saved so much money living frugally because he was content with it. He'd saved up all this money, and he realized he didn't have to work anymore. And if, if he quit working, he could stay home and have more time with his kids. So he did. He just stopped working. And those, those two guys, let, let me ask you this. Which one of those guys do you think is more content? Which one do you think is more grateful? Well, you see, contentment leads naturally to frugality. If we're content with what we have, we don't need to go spend so much on other stuff. Frugality leads to getting out of debt, avoiding more debt, and saving money. And when you have reserves, it's a lot easier to have peace and have freedom. So here's what I recommend. Assess your savings rate. Assess your savings rate. If you're spending everything you make, it's possible. You need to pursue greater contentment with less stuff and fewer experiences. You know, the stuff and the experiences that advertisers tell you will make you happier, but really often leads us to feeling emptier. You know, every December, y'all have these commercials here, the, the Lexus December to Remember event. And, and, and you know, before I watched that commercial, it seemed, it would never occur to me to buy my wife a car for Christmas. But at the end of that commercial, I'm like, Am I a bad husband? Am I a bad husband because I'm not going to go buy her a car and put a big red bow on the hood? And then I think, if I bought a car without asking her exactly what features she wanted on it, exactly what color she wanted, that would be way worse than if I just hadn't bought her a car at all. But those, but those commercials make us think, well, maybe I do need all this stuff. Maybe if I, because they, they don't say, if you have this stuff, it'll solve a problem in your life. They say, you deserve it. You need it. You deserve it, and if you have this, you'll be happy. If you have this car, your family will have peace. The Chevrolet commercials, everybody gets in the car, oh, this is such a great car, our family's so happy. Okay, y'all, little secret, ain't no car gonna make your family have peace if it wasn't there already. But the advertising shapes our mind into thinking these things. So here's the key. The percentage of your income you devote to debt elimination and savings may be a helpful barometer of your contentment. Later in that book that I told you about, Charlie Shedd told his kids, give 10%, save 10%, and spend the rest with thanksgiving and praise. I read that when I was 21, but unfortunately I was too immature to follow it. And speaking of, that brings me to the next key principle for financial freedom, generosity. Look at, let's look again at Philippians chapter four. Paul is still addressing the believers at Philippi, in verse 14, he says, Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. That's the whole region that Philippi is in. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help more than once. You see, Paul didn't begin his missionary journey into Europe with a pile of cash. He trusted God to provide for his needs, and he trusted that when people came to faith in Jesus, when people began their journey of faith, that they would provide for his needs. And these brand new believers, brand new believers at Philippi recognized his need, and they sent him money. Notice that Paul says, even when I was in Thessalonica, 
you sent me help more than once. Okay, is, this, is he trying to build up some kind of competition between Philippi and Thessalonica? Well, no, but it's important because Thessalonica was the larger city, a commercial city on the coast, and frankly, it was wealthier. Even today, modern Thessaloniki is the second largest city in Greece. And so he's, contra- he's contrasting the, the Philippians out of their, their uh, scarcity shared with Paul, but the, Thess- but the Thessalonians in their abundance didn't share with Paul. Because the Philippian believers understood that generosity flows out of seeing others' needs as more important and more urgent than our wants. Let me say that again. Generosity flows out of seeing other people's needs as more important and more urgent than our wants. For us, generosity shows itself every time we see someone in need and we help them with our time or our money or both. We're on the lookout for opportunities to bless others and we seize those opportunities. It can be inside our extended family or it can be outside our family. It can be close friends or it can be the homeless person we see in need. Jesus says it like this, and before we see what Jesus says about generosity, we have to understand the Jewish idiom behind the eye. The Jewish mind saw the eye as the source of either generosity or stinginess, envy, and jealousy. Okay? So if you remember, here's your Bible nerd minute. If you remember back in 1 Samuel, where King Saul becomes jealous of David, right? It's the, the Hebrew text literally says, Saul gave David the eye. And that, the, the hint is, it's the evil eye of jealousy, of envy, okay? So that, that's the evil eye, and a good eye is an eye of generosity. So that makes, up, that makes this, what I'm about to read, make a lot more sense. Jesus said, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, you're generous, your whole body will be filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, stingy, jealous, envious, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And so just so we know that, that, he, that he is talking about money, the very next verse he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be devoted to God and be enslaved to money. Y'all, Generosity is the vaccine against money slavery. Generosity is the vaccine against money slavery. So here's what I recommend. Assess your sharing rate. Do you share more of your resources outside your family than you did five years ago? Do you have a generosity line item in your budget? Money that you can't keep, but you have to give it away. If you will increase your generosity, I promise you will increase your contentment. And those are key principles to financial freedom. By the way, those two rich guys I told you about, which do you think was more generous? I know for a fact that the one who didn't need more, more, more was the more generous. And, and if, if your problem is that you can't find someone to be generous with, I would just remind you that my wife and I have five kids in college. <laughs> cash, check, Venmo, cash app, any, whatever you need. There's another one out there, we'll get it, okay? Just kidding, just kidding, but not really. Okay, so, so, so far we have talked about gratitude that sees that all that we have are gifts from God, contentment that focuses on what we already have, and generosity that sees others' needs 
as being more important and more urgent than our own wants. So here's where they all come together. If there's one dominant theme in everything that Paul's talking about in Philippians 4 and everything that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6, it's an invitation to trust God. An invitation to trust. To trust in God's provision for our needs, to trust in God's principles for the right attitude toward money. And this trust is the absolute antidote to worry and fear. And it's the foundation to financial freedom. You know, when I think about trust, I think about a baby. And when we're first born, we, we have to trust for everything. We have to trust someone to feed us. We have to trust someone to change us. We have to trust someone to bathe us. And as we grow and we mature, we move into a place of independence where we don't have to trust all the time and for everything. And in our spiritual lives, when we first come face to face, we first come to grips with our own sinfulness. We come to grips with our own need for forgiveness, our need for salvation, that we can't do it ourselves. We are in a place of absolute trust. The difference between the spiritual and the physical in this case is that we never have to outgrow that trust. We never have to outgrow trusting in God to move to a place of independence. In fact, we have to grow more and more trusting when the world tells us we only have ourselves to depend on. Trust is a position of the heart. It's an act of the will. So what does it look like? What are the actions that express trust and lead to more trust? And when I lived out in the country, there was this guy who once said, if we make God's business our business, God will make our business his business. And that rang true with me. In fact, it sounds like a paraphrase of when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things will be added to you. One important way that we seek first the kingdom of heaven is by giving financially to the work of building God's kingdom. That's why I, I get to teach the Next Steps class in Arlington, and I always say giving is not something your church wants from you. Giving is something your church wants for you. Because of what we have seen of how giving and trusting God catapults your spiritual life. It's not something we want from you. It's something we want for you. Because there's no better way to thank God than by giving to his mission in the world. There's no better way to practice contentment and generosity there's no better way to put the trust in your heart into action. So I want you to think about where you are on your giving, trusting journey. Think about where you are on your giving, trusting journey. Th these are some steps on the journey that I've noticed, and I want you to assess where you are in this journey. Maybe you've just never tried it. You just figured there's plenty of other people who give to the church, plenty of other people who give to missions and to benevolence, and you've never really thought about it for yourself. Or maybe you're at step one of occasional offerings. You give every once in a while. Maybe you give some of the times when you come to church. And that's where you are right now. Maybe you're at step two, percentage giving, where your giving is disciplined, it's planned, it's budgeted. Maybe you've gone to the next step of tithing, giving 10%, the percentage that we see most often in the Bible. Or maybe you're at stage four, the place I call surplus stewardship, where you give even more than the tithe because you can, and you know that you can because of how God has blessed you. Think about where you are. Here's what experience has taught me. It's always difficult to give more than I'm giving right now. 
It's like, I can trust God to maintain the status quo. It's just when he's asking me to take a next step, I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's going to work. But I've also learned that I cannot outgive God. Now, now here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is, look, if you just give, you're going to get back more. Just, just give more and, and you'll get back more. That, that's at its worst manipulative, and at its best, it's just a transaction. It has nothing to do with trust. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you that as I look back on my life, I've never regretted generosity. I've never regretted giving to the kingdom of God. Jesus says it like this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Store up your treasures in heaven. When we are at our most trusting, when our gaze is lifted up above our own circumstances, then we are more concerned with the mission of God in the world than we are with our own net worth or retirement plan. So here's my recommendation. No, here's my challenge to you. Find on this chart where you are right now. And I challenge you to take the next step. But David, I can't even make ends, ends meet right now. I, I, how can I move forward to the next step? Okay, okay, I feel that. I feel that. It's just that, it's just that I have story after story in my own life and in, in the life of, of people who are close to me of, of seeing God provide when we're willing to take a step of trust. I've just seen it too many times. And, and I struggle whether, whether to share this, this story with you, but I, I have a, a friend named Aaron. And Aaron and I, uh, we, worked, we worked in a very similar job for the same company uh, right out of school, and we made this exact same amount of money. We used to joke because our, sa- our annual salary ended with a one. Like, how did they come up with that? Like, like $341 was the last digits in our salary. And so we, we, joked, we joked about money all the time, and he was really struggling whether to, to trust God with this whole giving thing. And it was, it was, it was Saturday night, and, and payday was the coming Friday, and... Um, he, he, he was talking to his dad about giving, and, and, and he finally just said, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to trust God. And he wrote the check, and he gave it to church the next day, and the money they had left was for the groceries for the week. All the, the bills had been paid. And he gave the money that he had to his wife because he hated going to the grocery store, and she, she came home, and he, he tried to go help her bring in the groceries, and it was just one bag. And he's like, uh, where's the rest of the groceries? She said, well, this is, this is all I could buy with the money you gave me to buy groceries with. And so he kind of checked out, and he's like, okay, so... So how, how, many, how many meals are we, are we good for? And she's like, we're, we're, good, we're good through Tuesday. We're good through Tuesday. And he's like, okay, well, that's only Wednesday and Thursday we have to go without dinner. That's okay. We can fast. And the next day, at, uh, so the next day they had just moved into to a new place, and there was, a, there was something in the mail. Uh, for somebody, the neighbor had said, hey, we want to welcome you to the neighborhood. Uh, here's a, a gift certificate for a free pizza from Domino's Pizza. Now, I hate Domino's Pizza, but he didn't starve. All right? That took care of Wednesday. And then the next day, they got a call from somebody in their Sunday school class, uh, an older couple. They were like the, the you know, leaders of the Sunday school class. And they said, hey, we'd really like to take you guys out to dinner. Can we take you out to dinner on Thursday? Our treat. And God provided just enough to get them to payday. I've just seen that happen over and over and over so many times. And I, I, I can go on and on, but, but I'll stop there. So are you ready for something crazy? If you'll take that next step for two months, 
two months, we will give you a money-back guarantee. I'm serious. No, really. If, if you'll take that next step in your stewardship for April and May, and God does not provide abundantly for your needs, you email me. I don't know how, but I know that God's going to take care of you. Maybe money will come in from some unexpected source. Maybe you'll have an opportunity for a sweet side gig, because our participation is part of it. Maybe God's going to keep your car going longer than honestly it should. I don't know how God's going to take care of you, but I want you to know that I'm serious. The church finance office reports to me. If you email me and you say God didn't provide abundantly for your needs, we will refund all of your giving to the church from today to the end of May. No questions asked. But if that during that same time, you take that next step and you see God's provision, will you email me that too? And just in case you're wondering, I did run this by Pastor Walt. <laughs> okay? <laughs> And I did get his permission to make this promise, this, this money-back guarantee, and he encouraged me. And he was excited because he and I believe that God wants to take all of us to the next level of trust, the next level of commitment, the next level of faithfulness. And, and Pastor Walt didn't know I was preaching from Philippians 4, and he said, he said, yeah, it's just like that part in Philippians 4 where Paul says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want a, you to receive a reward for your kindness. Church, this isn't something your church wants from you. This is something your church wants for you. So here's what I know. God, who did not spare even his own son to come and die for our forgiveness, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he has the resources to take care of us. And the Son of God who scorned the privilege of heaven to come to earth, to die on a cross for our forgiveness, he longs for our trust. And the Spirit of God who comforts us and encourages us and bears his fruit in our lives, he wants to help us to trust. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for all you have provided for us. God, we are content with all you have provided for us. Help us to be more content. God, we share with those who are in need around us. Help us to be more generous. God, we trust you. Help us to have even more trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.